is Bloomberg Surveillance. Well, I'm not sure that I agree that there are signs in Europe of economic strength. There are signs in the United States, perhaps. There's no free lunch. You can't have higher wages and maintain profit margins and keep low inflation. The economy has not been very evenly distributed, and the people left behind have been really more or less the middle class and lower middle class people. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning, and uh, TGIF. I'm Michael McKee, along with Tom Keene. It is 7 a.m. on Wall Street, 1 p.m. in Frankfurt, the day after Draghi. And it is a very different day indeed. Shaking off yesterday's disappointment in the ECB, or perhaps just a more sober view of what Draghi hath wrought, we are seeing major market moves today. European stocks soaring. The stock 600 up 7 points, 2.1% right now. In Germany, the DAX, 259 points higher, 2.7%. Bond yields, curves are flattening across Europe. The German two-year yield is now a negative 46 basis points. It was negative 57 on Tuesday. And the euro, still stronger, 11105 but down about seven-tenths of a percent from yesterday. Here in the U.S., futures are also soaring. S&P E-mini futures up 18 points, nine-tenths. Dow E-mini futures up eight-tenths, 139 points. And NASDAQ 100 futures, 47 points higher, 1.1 percent. Bonds are little changed in the United States, but they are significantly higher than at this time yesterday morning. The 10-year note yield is all the way up to 1.95 percent, five-year 1.47 percent, and the two-year 94 basis points. Uh, Quite a difference over the last few days. The dollar index is stronger today, but way down from yesterday at this time. It's 96.551. So the dollar is weaker still on the back of the ECB. Part of what's happening may be less ECB and more oil. Oil prices considerably firmer. West Texas, 38.73, 90 cents higher, 2.4%. Brent crude, 40.76. It got over 41 earlier this morning. We'll see if it can make it there and hold that. It's 1.8% higher right now. Uh, Maybe helping also the International Energy Agency. Did you see this story saying prices may indeed have bottomed, putting a floor under uh, oil, at least for the moment. Uh, With Draghi done. That's the comedy hour today. That's the comedy hour today. (laughs) Although, you know, we had an agreement between Saudi Arabia and Russia to freeze oil production that had nothing to it. And it seems to have worked. So, you know, Tom, uh, my advice would uh, be from the Wizard of Oz. Don't look behind Shout the out this morning to Adam Siminski, who used to hold court at Peter Hooper's Deutsche Bank on oil. And he was so cynical about what big institutions say about hydrocarbons. Well, um, what they say it, uh, and what they and what hydrocarbons are doing this morning match. And, and we'll just since it's Friday, we'll leave it at that. Uh, with Draghi done, attention is turning now to the Bank of Japan on Monday, the Fed on Wednesday. Larry Lindsay is a former Fed governor, now president of the Lindsay Group. He is a prolific author, has a new book out, Conspiracies of the Ruling Class, and we want to ask you about that in a moment. But if I might, the Fed, uh, they may fit into your ruling class definition, uh, your assessment of monetary policy and what central banks, including ours, should be doing at this point. Well, uh, the... Fed has definitely been involved in the part of the ruling class. There's no doubt about it. I think the issue is going to be going forward. 
uh, how are they going to dig themselves out of a, a fairly deep hole. Uh, the way we got in the hole was we had to do some experimentation in order to figure out how to uh, deal with the last crash. Uh, uh, we did the experimentation, but no one ever thought about an exit strategy uh, when they were marching in. And I think it's going to be very difficult. Uh, my preference, I think, would be to begin to run off the balance sheet before they raise rates. Uh, if I were running a $4 trillion hedge fund, I definitely would liquidate my positions before I uh, sent their price down. But, um, you know, uh, the Fed has a very difficult challenge. I do not think that they're going to raise next week. I don't think they're going to raise until probably uh, December at the earliest. Uh, we have this is, this is a high-risk time to, to do it. Uh, it's high-risk time economically. Uh, and when you have a high-risk time economically and the year is divisible by four, you also have a high-risk time politically. Uh, there does seem to be a feeling that inflation is picking up. You look at the core rate moving higher. We have uh, the Phillips curve in action. Uh, you know, the, the lower unemployment rate uh, may be starting to have an effect on wages. So why December? Well, uh, there's, there's two pieces to this. First of all, uh, yes, of course, uh, inflation is going to move up. Uh, we had, if you simply were to take out the decline in energy and commodities, lar which largely happened in the first half of last year, uh, you get a basically a 1.7% uh, inflation rate. You add any kind of uh, tighter labor market to that, and you're, you're going to be, by the end of this year, at or probably over 2%. And uh, wage inflation is, is happening. Uh, it's not rampant wage inflation, but it's clear that labor is gaining a share of the pie. Uh, productivity is negative. Uh, workers are getting uh, nominal wage hikes that are far higher than the added value of output that they're putting out. So the share of compensation is going to workers. That is going to ultimately put some pressure on prices. So, yes, I think the inflation dynamic has started. On the other hand, we still have a high-risk world, and I think the Fed is going to be cautious yeah. um, uh, in, in when they move. Larry, I want to get back to the book, if I could. First, so folks, uh, Bloomberg Surveillance this Friday, brought to you by Invesco, looking for investment views, experienced experts. Uh, just to click away, go to Invesco.com slash U.S. to subscribe to the Invesco blog and follow at Invesco U.S. on Twitter. Conspiracies of the ruling class, Lawrence B. Lindsay. And you got to love, Larry, how you start the book. I mean, I, I have no clue how you time this puppy. The American public is angry. Did you know we'd be Trump and Sanders when you wrote this book? <laughs> well, it was... Uh... <laughs> It was looking worse and worse. Actually, at the beginning of 2015, we wrote that Jeb Bush and Hillary Clinton were not the key to their parties, that you should look at Elizabeth Warren and Rand Paul instead. And I think uh, some people right. out there uh, might risk, uh, might wish that we actually had uh, yeah. Rand and Elizabeth and who we ended up with. You, you take this back, folks, and the only reason to read this book is page 43, where Larry Lindsay kills it on Thomas Hobbes and John Locke. It's, it's great that he does that and frames how we got to an elite world. When did this start in America? Is it a new thing, or have we been doing this since time began? Well, you know, the Hobbes-Locke controversy, uh, you know, Locke won the American Revolution, right? That's really what it was all about. And, um, and <clears throat> they uh, designed it so that uh, we would have a Locke world hopefully forever. Uh, but around the turn of the century, 
uh, a new group emerged that I would think of as intellectually elite. I mean, one of the keys to the ruling class is that they think they know how to run your life better than you So do. you're pinning this and on Woodrow Wilson? It really is. It, Wilson really started it. And, uh, you know, we, we quote Wilson a lot in the book. Uh, I, uh, you know, he, he isn't the, the hero uh, when you actually read what he wrote that we were taught in school. Um, but, you know, Wilson really didn't like the American system. Uh, he wanted uh, experts uh, to run the country. Uh, he wanted to dispense basically with uh, separation of powers. And he just was, you know, in, into efficiency and efficiency in imposing his worldview. Well, and, uh, you know, that got deeper and deeper as the uh, uh, century wore on. And now we're at the point where the way the country functions actually is the opposite of what the Constitution says. Uh, we have experts making decisions and not elected representatives. I mean, one, um, one great example that everyone here is familiar with in, in, uh, who is listening is what the FCC did with the Internet. Now, I'm not taking a position on whether regulation is a good thing or a bad thing. I'm just looking at it from a democratic point of view. Imagine you had five unelected people vote three to two that they could now regulate the Internet. They didn't ask the Congress. They simply gave it to themselves. Again, not the merits of the regulation, but think about the democratic process that's involved. Uh, that certainly is not the way the Constitution was written, but it's more typical of the way things are now. And, uh, you know, that uh, really conveys a sense of arrogance on the part of the people in charge that they don't even have to ask the people's representatives to do something like that. I think uh, when you say uh, the de from a democratic point of view, you're, you're talking small d. Uh, Democrat. Oh, absolutely. Basic, basic philosophy. Or, or following the rule of law. Another example. Yeah. The Clean Water Act says that the EPA can regulate navigable bodies of water. Now, you and I and everybody listening knows what the word navigable means. It means something you can navigate, i.e. put a boat on and drive it around. Well, the EPA decided that was far too restrictive. No. So they've defined uh, what they could regulate as any standing body of water. Well, let, Larry, and it doesn't even have to be around for 12 months. Larry, we're going to come back. Sort of sit there. Larry Lindsay with Sorry. us in Washington with 99.1 FM. We say good morning to all in Washington. This is an apolitical book, The Republican Lindsay, going after everybody in conspiracies of the ruling class, how to break their grip forever. It's an interesting book, very timely to say uh, the least. Larry Lindsay, and we will continue. Futures up 18. Let's check in now with Michael Barr and get the latest world of national headlines. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. Republican presidential candidates will fan out today ahead of Tuesday's primaries in five states. Up for grabs are 367 Republican delegates in Florida, Illinois, Missouri, North Carolina, and Ohio, and the northern Mariana Islands in the Pacific. Last night, the Republican presidential candidates had a toned-down debate in Miami discussing issues such as Social Security and climate change. Almost 200 cases of the Zika virus have been reported in the U.S., all of the cases have been traced to travel abroad. 
Yesterday, health officials made a plea to Congress to provide $1.9 billion to fight the mosquito-borne virus in Latin America and help it from spreading here in the U.S. A proposal to make polygamy a felony crime in Utah has failed again in the state Senate. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists in more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom? Michael Barr, thanks so much. Conspiracies of the ruling class with us, Larry Lindsay. From New York, Michael McKee and Tom Keene, Bloomberg Surveillance. Bloomberg Surveillance is brought to you by Land Rover. Adventure is yours for the taking. Visit LandRoverTriState.com for special lease and financing offers. Land Rover, above and beyond. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by National Realty. 30% returns on cash and rented real estate. Find them at NRIA.net. U.S. stock index futures are higher. An indication stocks will trim their first weekly drop in four, and they're mirroring a global equity rally as investors reassess stimulus measures in Europe. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures up 9 tenths percent, up about 18 points. Dow E-mini futures up 139. NASDAQ E-mini futures. Futures up 46. The DAX in Germany is up 2.7 percent. Ten-year Treasury down 4.30 seconds. The yield 1.94 percent. NYMEX crude oil up 2.3 percent or 88 cents to 38.72 a barrel. COMEX gold is down three tenths percent or three dollars sixty cents to 12.69.20 an ounce. The euro a dollar 11.18. The yen 113.72. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Hey, Karen, uh, thanks so much. Time for surveillance correction. Many emails in, many tweets as well. One M. McKee sent in a tweet, actually <laughs> threw a shoe at me. He said, Tom, Larry Lindsay's book is not apolitical. Michael, discuss. <laughs> well, uh, it, it is pretty clear that Larry is coming at uh, the, the issues from the right-hand side, uh, perhaps even the far right, and I don't mean the, the, the wingnut right, the, but the more the libertarian uh, view of um, the uh, economy and the elites. Uh, you note in your book that uh, it's mostly the Democrats who are the problem. Um, you uh, talk uh, more about the problems uh, of in- income inequality rising under Barack Obama and Bill Clinton much more than under Republicans, etc. So I don't think it's necessarily a, uh, a an apolitical book. But I did want to ask about the, um, the 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 elites you were talking about, starting with Woodrow Wilson. I mean, what about uh, the white male landowners uh, of a highly educated class that wrote the Constitution? I mean, did we not start with elites running the country? Well, we we started with King George and his ministers running the country, and uh, what the history of America was was uh, sort of a continual uh, democratization. You know, we fought a, a civil war uh, to stop those elites uh, from uh, from running things the way they did in the South. So, you know, I'm never claiming that America uh, has ever been perfect, but we are a cause, and we're a cause that believes for the first time in history that government is supposed to work for the people rather than vice versa. And what I think we're finding with the ruling class is that they really think that the people work for the government, that that's what we're there for. We're you know, uh, low-hanging fruit to be plucked in order to pay taxes. Uh, that's not what the intent was. And I think the great strength of America and what has driven American growth is the idea that government is there 
to serve us and uh, not us to serve them. Doesn't any uh, bureaucracy become rent-seeking and, uh, and inefficient, whether it's, uh, you know, government or in a corporation? Absolutely. There's no question about it. And that's why you, what you really need if you want to have economic dynamism and political dynamism is, um, you know, as little concentration of power within a bureaucracy as you possibly can. Uh, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. By the way, those facts on inequality are, are facts, right? It's, it's, not a, it's not a political judgment. The, I went to the Census Bureau. They have three measures of inequality. Uh, inequality has been rising constantly ever since the Great Society, and it has risen faster under Obama and Clinton than it did under Bush and Reagan. That's just what the Census Bureau numbers show, uh, and it's not a, a political spin. I think it's a bit ironic that the more people talk about inequality, it just happens, or I don't know if there's cause and effect, it just happens that inequality rises more when they say they're going to do something about it. Well, uh, that takes me kind of where I want to go to an earlier book of yours, What a President Should Know But Most Learn right. Too Late, a, a primer written uh, back in 2008 when uh, we were going to get a new president then. Uh, I watched the debate last night. And uh, without taking sides, I mean, all of them, the ignorance about economics and markets and finance was stunning. Uh, what would you advise them to learn before they come to office? Well, I think, uh, I think that's right. And, uh, you know, uh, the ignorance is also very much a bipartisan thing. It's, it's really quite, uh, quite shocking. I, um, uh, among other things, I think that they have to respect the fact that they are there to govern and not to rule, and that actually other people, um, be it uh, businesses or families or what have you, actually know how to run their own business uh, better than they do. And I think that's, you know, that's the core. The, the presidency is a very, very difficult job. And, uh, you know, we have, we have one candidate who says, well, I, I built a great business, and therefore, you know, I can do this. Um, not quite so much. You know, among other things, he's got uh, two boards of directors, one with 100 members, one with 435, that are always going to be looking over his shoulder. He basically can't uh, fire 99% of the people who work for him. And so it's a very tough job that requires a very unique skill set. And uh, I think almost every president goes in there not knowing how tough the job is going to be. I, uh, I had a vision of a hostile takeover there when you were talking about those boards of directors. Tom, I just want to <laughs> uh, do my own little surveillance correction here. A recency bias when I said the uh, I watched the debate last night. Of course, uh, it was because it was last night. It, both sides demonstrate a lot of, a lot of ignorance. Larry, what do you want uh, Washington to get out of your book? You've served George Herbert Walker, George W., and Ronald Reagan before uh, that. Whoever's in the chair in Washington in December, what do you want them to learn? Well, I think the first thing that they're going to have to learn is uh, they're going to have to go in there thinking about crisis management. What worries me the most uh, right now is that none of the campaigns on either side of the aisle are really thinking about how to run things in a crisis. Uh, you know, we saw that in 08. We saw, I went through that in, in 2001 in the, in the attack on the World Trade Center. You really have to uh, have your administration designed to handle a crisis, because that's when it really matters. That's when the presidency really matters. And these people are talking about issues that, that really aren't crisis-driven. And, um, and so that would, be, that would be the first thing. 
Um, the second, uh, and I think the most important, is going to be to, to begin to roll back uh, the degree of micromanagement uh, that is occurring. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a Congress there that's elected in order to make judgments. The experts are great uh, at make, coming up with ideas, right. but let the Congress have some judgment okay. here on whether or not they should be implemented. Larry Lindsay, thank you so much. The book is Conspiracies of the Ruling Class. With futures up 19, Dow futures up 144 from New York. Worldwide, Bloomberg Surveillance. Bloomberg Surveillance is brought to you by your Mercedes-Benz Tri-State dealer. No matter what the weather, Mercedes-Benz 4MATIC all-wheel drive brings peace of mind and driving confidence. Visit your Mercedes-Benz Tri-State dealer for a test drive today. Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app at Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning. It is 730. I'm Michael McKee, along with Tom Keene. And here are some of the headlines that we're following from the corporate world Deutsche Bank says the industry's revenue will decline this year. Clients are considering pulling back from trading some fixed-income securities. They're refraining from doing deals. Deutsche cutting its bonus pool by 11%, rising legal expenses, hurting earnings last year. Uh, meanwhile, people with knowledge of the matter say Deutsche is in talks with J.P. Morgan Chase, Goldman Sachs, and Citigroup to sell the last batches of about $1.1 trillion in complex financial instruments. Deutsche shares up 4.5% this morning in European trading, maybe still more of the draggy hangover. Intercontinental Exchange has decided it would keep the London Stock Exchange's group's namesake equity market if it successfully buys the parent company, that according to people familiar with the matter. Now let's check in with Michael Barr and get the latest world and national headlines. Mike. Mike, thank you very much. There were no personal attacks during last night's Republican presidential debate. Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio have managed to be on the offensive against Donald Trump during the debate on CNN. One issue that divided them was Trump's comment that Islam hates the West. Marco Rubio pointed out that Muslims are among the veterans laid to rest at Arlington National Cemetery. On Social Security, Ohio Governor John Kasich says he has a simple solution for dealing with an inevitable shortfall. If you've had wealth throughout your lifetime, when the time comes for you to be on Social Security, you'll still get it. It will just simply be less. And for those people who depend on that Social Security, they'll get their full benefit. Meanwhile, Donald Trump says he picked up the endorsement of former rival Ben Carson. U.N. experts say the Islamic State group is expanding in Libya. According to a U.N. report, the political and security vacuum in Libya is being exploited by the Islamic State. Mourners will give their final goodbye to former First Lady Nancy Reagan. Her funeral will take place today at the Reagan Presidential Library in Simi Valley, California. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Mike Lubar. Mike? Thank you, Michael. Time now for the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update. John Stashauer. All right, Mike, it's March Madness, conference tournaments all over the country. There's even going to be a conference tourney in the Ivy League starting next year for the first time. Big East at the Garden, Seton Hall played the finale of the quartet of games and advanced past Creighton 81-73. Isaiah Whitehead, 24 points, 12 rebounds, and the Pirates will play Xavier tonight. Atlantic 10 at the Barclays Center, Fordham played the opener and lost to Richmond 70 to 55. After going 7-25, and 1-18 and in the Big Ten, Rutgers has fired 
Eddie Jordan after three seasons as coach. Hockey in San Jose. Keith Kincaid stopped all 30 shots. Devils over the Sharks 3-0. Jets still don't know who their quarterback will be. Ryan Fitzpatrick's an unsigned free agent. Indications the Jets are looking elsewhere. Perhaps a trade for Colin Kaepernick, who wants out in San Francisco. The Jets' running back situation is settled. They added Matt Forte from Chicago and then Kyrie Robinson from New Orleans, and they re-signed Bilal Powell. Giants added another defensive player, linebacker Keenan Robinson, who was in Washington. Giants have added four defensive players after having the NFL's worst defense last season. With the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update, I'm John Stashley. Thank you, John. We're keeping an eye on oil prices this morning. The International Energy Agency saying we may have seen a floor, and we're certainly off the lows in the 20s that we saw in February. Brent crude now approaching $41 a barrel, 40.63, up 1.5%. West Texas is up 2% on the day. It's at 38.59, and that's giving a lift to equities. We'll continue to follow those developments. Maybe it's a little bit of Draghi as well here on Bloomberg Surveillance. You're listening to Bloomberg Radio Worldwide. Good morning, NTGIF. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. I'm Michael McKee, along with Tom Keene. As I mentioned, we're watching uh, Green Day on the screens. The stock 600 is up by 8 points, 2.3%. The S&P mini futures are up 19 points. That's a percentage point higher. And Dow E-minis are up 149, 9 tenths, both of those gaining altitude as uh, the morning goes on. Time now for the Bloomberg NJIT STEM report brought to you by the New Jersey Institute of Technology, partnering with government and industry to apply the university's world-class research assets to innovate and spur economic growth. Learn more at njit.edu. Here's Bob Moon. Thanks and good morning, Michael. Coming up on 735 on Wall Street, and here's what's making news in science, technology, engineering, and math. As federal prosecutors battle with the tech industry, President Barack Obama plans to attend a major tech conference today, the South by Southwest Interactive Festival in Austin, Texas. The White House says he plans to ask the creative types in attendance to help solve problems, like getting more people to participate in the political process and countering the effects of climate change. He also wants to talk about how the administration is using technology to help make people's lives better, including by overhauling the government's online processing, simplifying federal application forms, and increasing access to government data. If you're following the legal battle between Apple and the FBI over the government's demand for Apple's help cracking a terrorist iPhone, mark your calendar. A hearing on the government's motion to compel is now less than two weeks away. It's been scheduled for March 22nd. And proposals requiring banks to report any cybersecurity incident that's had a significant impact on their systems will likely be diluted in a final European Union rule due in June, according to Bloomberg Intelligence. In addition, fines might only be imposed when it can be proven that the failure to maintain robust systems and controls was intentional or due to gross negligence. And that's this morning's Bloomberg NJIT STEM report. Michael, Tom. Thank you very much, Bob Moon. Uh, Tom, I had a brilliant idea for, um, we were talking about uh, with Larry Lindsay, all the, the, ig- the tremendous ignorance of the presidential candidates about uh, economics, markets, and finance. They should listen to, we get, we invite them to listen to Bloomberg Surveillance every day. All across America, we're available as they travel around to campaign. Um, Sirius XM, Channel 119, and, of course, our stations in San Francisco, Boston, Washington, and New York. They could, absolutely. Um, I, I like that idea. Every once in a while, a piece of research parachutes in, and you say, say what? She's out of Albany in Chicago. 
Her name is Jill Maslinski, never been on the show, and we drag her on now because her degree's in astronomy and physics from Chicago. That's pretty cool. Jill, good morning. Good morning. What is Advisor Perspectives? Help us out with what your organization is. Uh, Advisor Perspectives is a newsletter and website for financial advisors and wealth managers. Um, it's basically actionable advice. Yeah, it's actionable advice and also brilliant research where you took the stuff that Mike McKee reads every night before he goes to sleep if the Broncos aren't playing. And the bottom line is you looked at part-time and full-time dynamics in America. I thought your study was absolutely brilliant. What we hear in our mail is it's part-time America. Is that true? Well, um, in a way, yes. Uh, since the recession, it's definitely, well, during the recession it went up. Part-timers obviously were right. increasing. Um, but since the recession, we, we've seen a gradual decline in, in the number of part-timers, but it's still not at pre-recession levels. Why isn't it matched to the unemployment rate? The unemployment rate is pretty cool, but you make clear we're nowhere near back to where we were pre-crisis, are we? Uh, no, we're not. And I, I think that has a lot to do with just the way our uh, economy has moved from a goods producing uh, to services. And that kind of plays more into the, the part-timers um, in, in a way. Well, how much of this is, uh, was just simply the depth of the Great Recession? Well, it's it's interesting because the recessions have actually had a substantial impact on the part-timers, um, especially this last one. Uh, when you look at the trends, you can see that they uh, the recession has really uh, caused caused us to not get back to the growth that we were at before. Now, how quickly are we? Uh, well, let me put it this way: uh, your work assumes that we're going to continue along the same path and that the lines of part-time and full-time will cross. Uh, how quickly are we going to get there and what threat is there that maybe we don't? Well, the, the biggest growth clearly is a, a cyclical downturn. Um, we we really need to maintain the growth that we're seeing in order to continue and to get back to pre-recession levels. Uh, yeah. But we really need to avoid the cyclical downturn in order to continue any kind of growth. Um, if we do have a recession again, then it'll erase everything that that we've we've done so far. The heart of the matter, and the basic heart of the matter to me, is the desire to get back to a run rate of three percent GDP. And we can argue about plus or minus this or that. Jill Malinsky, as we know, we haven't seen that. Are you modeling in your work every day the idea that we'll never get back there, or is there a new level that you're studying every day that's sub 2.8, sub 2.4% real GDP? Well, the data that we're looking at is showing us that we, we're just in a, in a uncharted territory, essentially. So, uh, you know, this low trend growth is, doesn't seem to be going away, so... We're just looking at it as if it's going to be a continual thing. Uh, I mean, everyone hopes that at some point we can get back to the 3%, but it's not looking like it's going to happen okay. anytime soon. Congratulations on a fabulous piece of work. Jill Maslinski um, out of Chicago and uh, with a, just a terrific essay. You can see that at Advisor Perspectives. Uh, she calls it financial sense, and it's just a cogent feel on the dynamics of part-time and full-time America. The answer is better, but not good enough is the summary of that report. Futures Up 18 from New York City. This is Bloomberg Surveillance.
We're counting down to the opening bell brought to you by the Jeep Grand Cherokee. The most awarded SUV ever, the Grand Cherokee continues to raise the bar with its luxurious interior and legendary 4x4 capability. Drive one at your local Jeep dealer today. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by Sector Spider ETFs. Why buy a single stock when you can invest in the entire sector? Visit SectorSPDRS.com or call 1-866-SECTOR-ETF. U.S. stock index futures are higher. An indication stocks will trim their first weekly drop in four, mirroring a global equity rally as investors reassess stimulus measures in Europe. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures up 18 points. Dow E-mini futures. Futures up 141. Nasdaq E-mini futures up 48. The DAX in Germany is up 3% now. CAC in Paris up 2.9%. And the FT100 up 1.5%. Ten-year Treasury down 5.30 seconds. They yield 1.95%. Yield on the two-year, 0.94%. NYMEX crude oil up 2.1% or 80 cents to 38.63 a barrel. COMEX gold is down 6 tenths percent or $7.70 to 12.65 10 an ounce. The euro, $1.1094. The yen, 113.77. Banks and technology shares, which have led the recent rebound in equities, are higher in early trading. Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs Group are both up more than 1.8%, while Netflix is up 2.6% this morning, and Amazon.com is up more than 1%. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, thank you very much. Well, we are a radio station, Tom. We don't ordinarily take requests and dedications, but Mohammed from Newport Beach, wrote in, uh, and he wanted to hear um, the latest hit uh, music from uh, the country music recording star Merle Hazard. Uh, oh, no. And, and I listened to the song, and uh, we have to play this. How long? How long will interest rates stay low? That's the question the whole world wants to know. This was a, uh, it's a, it's an actual music video. You can look at Mohamed El Arian's uh, Twitter feed and get the link to it um, put together by the folks at the PBS station in Nashville. It is absolutely hilarious. Um, and Mohammed and I were talking this morning, and, and he noted that you don't need his book, you don't need anything else. You listen to the song, and it raises all the questions that the average person wants to know and, and hits it, 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 as he put it, they are much smarter about the economy than the people who are running for president. A, a, a brilliant question. So we've got the uh, Federal Reserve yep. meeting next week, and we've got um, average Americans who, wanting who, to know. Who was the singer, Merle? Uh, it's a, uh, a a country singer named Merle Hazard, not Merle okay. Haggard. but you know, Mr. Haggard, if you're listening this morning, Merle Haggard, age 78, he founded the Baker. That did. Can you play it again, please? It does not sound like the Bakersfield sound. I, I mean, I, I can. Did we lose that? How long will interest rates stay low? That's the question the whole world wants to know. How long will interest rates stay low? It seems like if they're going up, they're going pretty slow. I, I mean, Richard Clarida has a band. Maybe it's Richard Clarida. It's, uh, it's definitely the uh, the um, uh, Grand Ole Opry sound. And it does. You, it does. I, you're not old. You're seasoned. But you remember Hee Haw, the old uh, uh, yes. TV show. And it, it, uh, With the very esteemed much like that late 
Roy Clark. Yeah, there are a few uh, jokes out there. John Shane is Merle Hazard's real name, um, and he okay. has done a number of other uh, financial market parody songs. Yeah, Dr. Demento comes to economics, finance, investment. And that, Mike, let's get a grip on what happened yesterday. We were all smart. We all had our sets of outcomes. And as Joachim Fels magisterially said, it was extraordinary. Extraordinary what occurred yesterday. Well, we had uh, – it was so broad and uh, and so much was done that it seems to have taken markets 24 hours to figure out what they really think about it. The Agreed. Initial, the initial reaction was, this is great. And then all of a sudden, well, he said no more interest rate cuts, so that means the euro is going to be stronger, and that's terrible. And then uh, they seem now to have voted on the idea that – this is going to be a yeah. bank lending channel easing rather than a currency channel. Exactly. Easing. And Catherine Mann of OECD ex Brandeis with her magisterial work on international trade and codependency and dysfunction between nations, including China and the United States. She said exactly that, Michael. She said that the public is so weaned on rate change and currency change and that, that flows get in the way. And am I right, Michael, that this is monetary, a set of monetary exercises to try to flow money to the public? Haven't we tried that before and it sort of didn't work out? Well, there are interesting questions about what this will do, uh, whether or not it, the, 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 the idea behind the uh, lending program to banks, the TLTRO, is that banks can get a lower rate if they lend more of the money out into the markets. So um, w- w- that, uh, that, that may help. The question is, um, does it help enough? Is there enough demand out there? Jane Foley, we've been speaking to really across all of Bloomberg. It seems like she's with us about every three hours, which is appropriate uh, given the whims. Jane, I'm going to call it weak euro, boom, strong euro, and we've dampened pretty much back to pre-Draghi. What does it symbolize? Was this just an exercise in confusion or short or long covering, or is this something that you can rationalize? I think there is some confusion out there. I, I, I think we'd, we'd certainly have to get that straight. But I think in terms of, of positioning, one thing that we can say was that the market wasn't as short euros as it was last December. And, of course, we need to try and work out why that is. And the reason, perhaps, is, is because the euro does have the safe haven behaviors. Now, I, I'm reluctant to call it a safe haven, but the eurozone does have a, a strong current account surplus, meaning there is a surplus of savers. And many of those savers right now are reluctant to, to invest in risky assets. So they, they would rather hold euros and then move into uh, some other markets, given the, the large amount of volatility that we've had this year. Now, the question, therefore, was, was Draghi always going to be able to get the, the, the euro down if investors were going to be reluctant to, to short it, given the current environment? Mm-hmm. And I think we, we know the answer to that. Uh, it, it means it was going to be difficult to get the euro lower. That said... I think it, it wasn't so much necessarily positioning that that, that really um, made Eurodollar go high yesterday. It was that comment from Draghi indicating that he was reluctant to cut interest rates further. That moved the money market and therefore it pushed up the, the, the value of Eurodollar. The, 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 the euro strengthened. And of course, this raises the question of, is the ECB going to cut interest rates again? And, and that 
there's a big question mark over that. And I know yesterday's uh, announcement from the ECB suggests that rather than use negative interest rates, and of course there's been a lot of negative press about negative interest rates recently, rather than go down that route, maybe instead they're going to go to try and inject more money into the real economy through these teltros, four new teltros um, in June, and there will be a bonus given uh, to banks who, who lend more. So from that point of view, maybe there's going to be less focus on negative interest rates and currency yeah. wars and more on, these, and, on, and, on the real economy. And, Michael, this is what we heard from Peter Hooper of Deutsche Bank as well, some real tangible initiatives to move money in. Yeah, well, the folks uh, at, at Rabobank uh, on your credit side have some real questions about how well this will work, particularly the uh, corporate bond buying that they announced. Yeah, this is exactly right. Even though you, you could stand back and say, well, surely this is the right thing for a central bank to do, to try and focus on the real economy, push money through, through, into the real economy through those means, you've got to be skeptical as to whether or not it really can work. And, you know, one of the primary reasons to be skeptical is, is that a lot of the investment-graded corporates don't actually need the money. So even though the banks might get an extra bonus by lending to them, they don't need it. So from that point of view, you've really got to question whether or not the, this measure can be successful, but that's certainly part of it. But for the, for the global economy, I, I think we can look back at the ECB and say it has been a, a significant perpetrator, really, of currency wars. If we go back to the middle of 2014, we look at that negative discount rate back then and see what that triggered. It triggered a, a quite a big a number of ripples in, in the currency war, and maybe the ECB are finally pulling away from that, because after all, we all know that currency wars are a zero-sum game, and negative interest rates are all very concerned about that too. So in a way, maybe they've done the right thing in moving away from, from negative rates, currency wars, but, yeah, you've got to be skeptical as to whether or not this policy mm. really can work. Jane, thank you so much for the update. Thank you so much for your contribution to the show and across all of Bloomberg News. Ms. Foley is with Rabobank. I love the idea, uh, Michael, that she's writing smart research off of a trading platform. Off of, she's mm -hmm. in the trenches there, actually worried about euro to four and six digits, 110.92 uh, right now. And, of course, uh, let me get the chart out on euro dollar to Bloomberg Radio Plus. I think that's – I'm going to do a three-day chart, uh, folks. This is before, during, and how we've rolled over and come in after. We're still – a bit away from where we were at, at, at 8.25 uh, yesterday morning, but we're getting there. And so, you okay over there? I'm okay. I'm listening to your excellent uh, market summaries of you know, what's going on right no, now. No, I, I think, I think it, it's been a fascinating week. And, you know, again, as we said at the end of the show yesterday, massive shout-out to everybody that's helped us uh, work in real time before Draghi and uh, uh, during uh, the press conference, which was truly extraordinary, the speed of news that was going on. And, of course, as people try to figure out where do we go from here, and most particularly what it means as a follow-on to other central banks. Part of that will be March 16. Uh, where are you, Mike, for our Fed show March 16th? Are you here? I think are you I'm there? sitting next to you. This is a very good We're thing. We're going to be uh, spending two hours. With so Scarlet Fu, which is no downside. Food. We're going to... Uh, yeah analyze what the Fed uh, probably wouldn't do, but what they're going well, to say could be really important. It will be interesting to see the guidance that Cherry Yellen gives after the history made yesterday. Stay with us worldwide on economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Bloomberg Surveillance.